Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. This is going to be our 25th episode, and we're going to be reviewing the movie Loon Lake. This movie was picked by our dad. He won the dice roll at the end of our last episode. For those of you who haven't joined us before, um, our podcast is called the Diecast Movie Review Podcast because the movie we watch is picked by the roll of a die. Um, we have a die that picks who is going to pick the movie, and then we have two dice that have different genres on them. Um, for more information on that, just stay tuned to the end of the episode, and we'll explain it again there. So, Dad, since you picked this episode, did you uh, this movie for the episode? Did you want to go ahead and give a synopsis about it, and maybe mention why you picked it? Sure. Um, I ended up picking Loon Lake because I, I rolled independent. And um, one of the reasons I was I picked this movie is I watched it um, earlier this year in 2020, and I enjoyed it a lot. And then I, by sheer luck, I got the Loon, um, I got the independent role, and I was like, oh, this would be good. We can watch Loon Lake. Um, ben and Michaela was their first time seeing it. It was my second time. And um, I thought it was an enjoyable. It's, it's a lot of independent films or low budgets, and this one has, again, a micro-budget um, similar like Joshua Kennedy's films. And it's amazing how some of these filmmakers are able to get so much out of this lower budget. And Ansel Farage, the, who's the director, producer, right, co-writer with Nathan Wilson, ended up doing an excellent job with the little bit of money they had to make it really look like a better movie budget-wise than the amount that they were given. The synopsis of the movie Eager to escape the grief and nightmares of the city, Lewis Olson travels to southwest Minnesota seeking the peace of the rural countryside when he accidentally disturbs the grave of a supposedly local witch, Mary Jane Terlinden. What began as a peaceful reprieve unravels into a haunting nightmare from which Lewis cannot escape. But is it all in his head? And we're going to listen to the trailer. Kind friend, beware as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. Prepare yourself to follow me. Son, what's bugging you? seen that look you have in your eyes before it's never a good thing it's God's will he's testing us you believe this is a test I must believe it there's no witch she's just some poor girl Fear does crazy things.
and we hoped you all enjoyed listening to that trailer with us. I like the trailer in that it does set the um, the tone for the movie. Um, for those that want to see the trailer, obviously because we're an audio podcast, you can see it on YouTube. You know, put Loon Lake trailer and it'll pop right up. There's two versions. This was the two-minute one, and there's also one that's about a minute and 11 seconds. Um, both of them give you the general gist of what's going to happen. Just to, just to give a rundown in case people don't know, um, they call me Dad, but my name is Stephen Turek, and um, I'm the father of Ben Turek and Michaela Turek, who are joining me during this podcast. And um, when we do, like Michaela said, we roll a die to decide who picks the movie and, and also what genre. And the point is, um, sometimes you have trouble picking a movie as to what one you're going to do, and by having it narrowed down to the genre, sometimes it makes it a lot easier to pick which movie you want to watch. And in the case for our show, it gives us a variety because you don't know what we're going to be picking next. Exactly. Um, so for the next part, we're going to move into talking about our uh, likes from the movie. And I don't know, Ben, did you want to start? To start off with my likes, I, I really enjoyed David Selby's portrayal of both Emery and the Reverend in the past, in I believe it was the 1880s in this film. I didn't realize until the end credits that they were both played by David Selby. The Reverend I saw right away, and I was like, oh, man, that's David Selby. But then when I saw Emery, I thought it was a completely different actor, and that kind of speaks to the level of craft that David Selby put into these two characters where they're so different that you don't connect that it's the same person playing them at all. And for those that are in the know, David Selby was in the original Dark Shadows TV series and also Falcon Crest and countless other credits in movies and TV that he's done. And he's also very skilled in the theater. And it shows in this movie how he's able to, as Ben said, go for both characters seamlessly. I'm familiar with David Selby more than Ben is, and I was faked for a good while in the film because I knew he was like, okay, he's definitely the Reverend, and it took me a while to figure out that he was also playing Emery because he did such a different type of performance, and um, it, which just again goes to show how good he is. Michaela, you have anything you want to talk about? And likewise, before we move on to the next thing with more likes, Michaela, this is an audio podcast. Giving a face doesn't help us at all. You got to made a weird facial gesture of slight disdain. Did you like the sets, Michaela? They use real sets. I shrugged. All right, we'll come back to Michaela. She'll just put her hand up and let us know, which, you know, we'll sh- one of the things I wanted to mention is the other actors. Nathan Wilson plays Lewis, um, who's in a lot of Ansel Farage's movies um, over the years. I think they've done oh, countless amounts. And Nathan is really showing um, growth from what I've seen him in earlier films to what he is now. To, where he is now with this film coming out last year. And I really enjoyed his performance as Lewis because really it, this whole movie um, rests on the shoulders of him since he's the main character and David Selby's character second. And um, Kelly Aaron Decker, who played Mary Jane Terlinden, I mean, those three characters are the main ones through the film that are carrying it through. And Mary Jane plays the witch or supposed witch depending on what point of view you want to go with. And we're kind of leaving it open-ended. We're not going to give away the ending um, just because this film is really new. It's only been around for, it's been around for less than a year. I think it came out October of last year. Another thing that I really enjoyed about this film was how it 
built up, whether it was whether things were really happening to him or whether things were not happening to Lewis and it was just in his head. Like, whether he was really seeing into the past and seeing what actually happened or whether it was just his imagination running wild after having a traumatic experience. And to time what Ben said about the traumatic experience, it says this in the beginning of the film, you'll see him come right in. The first thing he does when he arrives at this um, cabin or house or whatever he's going to stay in the countryside of Minnesota. And this is filmed on location in Minnesota. So all these are real locations. Um, He takes the um, cross down and puts it in a drawer because as we find in the movie, his wife and unborn child were killed in a car accident a few months prior. So he's coming in with a lot of emotional baggage, and he's basically, in my opinion, a broken man. And um, just just a shell of himself going through the motions and a total loss of faith in everything. And I think that's why when he goes out to go fishing at Loon Lake, he takes a little hike in the field and finds a small old graveyard and ends up walking accidentally across the front of the grave of Mary Jane three times, which is what you have to do in order for the witch to come for you. And that's how he finds that out from the town folk. And that's what he starts to want. You start to wonder if it's um, psychological or is it real or is it both? I also liked how they pulled in the curse, how they came up with this cool kind of rhymy, almost poem like thing that's they put on a gravestone for Mary Jane Terlinden and had her say, cause the movie opens up, with essentially her death scene. And it she says it in the death scene and it it had a lot of emotion in it. And then seeing it on the gravestone and seeing how they tied that phrase back into the film to make it like her death curse was pretty cool. And you got to hear what she says at the beginning of the trailer, you know, the and um it, the reason it's three times you have to cross it because it took three whacks with an axe to decapitate her. Yeah, and that in the film that isn't as graphic as it sounds. It actually might be the most graphic thing in the movie besides the very end. I think I think that first scene, even though you don't see it as much as you um, um, hear it, hear it, yeah, hear it, and your mind always makes things worse than that. So it's um, it, it, was, it was. I think. What'd you think of the makeup, Michaela, for the um, the effects? I did like the locations that they chose. It was very pretty, and it gave um, a good opportunity for them to tie in the kind of nature and getting lost in nature and how you can be, like, heading out into a cornfield one minute and you think you know where you came from is behind you and then getting turned around and lost in there and... So the house that they picked for Lewis to be, I guess, renting or whatnot, um, was right near a big open space, not too close to anybody's house, really. So he doesn't really have many people around to help him differentiate between is this real or is this all in his head, which can help feed into the psychological factor of is it real, is it not real, how can I tell? 
Yeah, and there were there were only really two characters that he talked to while he was in town for the majority of his stay. One being Emery, who he's he's kind of, Emery's more like more or less like the older farmer type character that's been living in the area who's just friendly and neighborly and welcoming um Lewis into their little community and checking up on him every now and then and Gracie yes and Gracie who is oddly trusting of a stranger in their town and is also kind of introducing him to their area yeah come um, Lewis's character meets Gracie who's played by Brittany Benjamin and um at at um a bar and she's basically one of the um, waitresses or bartenders or whatever she's working. I think they also do food too, but he doesn't eat there. And um, that that's where he's talking to the bartender and one of the one of their local yokels, and they're basically filling him in with the backstory of the witch because he asked they asked him where he's been. And he said he went fishing. And he said where and he said Loon Lake, and that's when they tell him all about the witch's curse and about how all these people had basically died after they've done it through different ways. And um, then he starts to take that into heart. And um, also at the same time, drinking rather heavily. Yes. Yes. Drinking a lot. He definitely was intoxicated. And, um, and then him and Gracie go out to a restaurant to have dinner and he drinks even more. And then she has to drive him back to his rental home because he's just, he's barely able to walk. That's where I said Ben. I think Ben's like like she's oddly trusting and stuff like that because here you have somebody you've never met before and you're going to drive them back to their place, and um, nothing really happens. Which you, which you know is far away because she knows the people who he's renting it from, and so she knows where it is, and she knows that it's far away from her house where her sister lives, where really anybody else is, and she kind of knows that. This guy could do something to her at this point where like a lot of people would not make the decision to drop him off there. In my opinion, I don't, I don't think a lot of people would. I could see her doing it if, if she asked one of the guys that was in the bar, Hey, can you kind of give me a ride? And, um, like she drove him in the truck and the other guy followed him and then they dropped him off, dropped his truck off. And she drove back with the other guy instead of waiting for her sister to show up, which of course doesn't nothing really happens because Lewis passes out and has um, a dream sequence, which he has a lot of. And some of these dream sequences take place in the present. Some of them take place in the past. And that's where Ben was saying before, like, did these events really happen or is, or is Lewis making these things up in his, um, Mind. dream state the other thing is some of his dreams don't necessarily happen when he's actually asleep or when you think he's asleep because one second he'll be sitting there and then the next second he's in this what we assume is like a dream sequence or like a a really weird moment of flashback in his mind and a lot of them are about his late wife and their backstory building up because he never explicitly states that his wife was pregnant. You just see it in one of the flashback sequences that 
oh, she was pregnant. And then you kind of have to assume that that's part of the reason why he's so terribly upset because not only did he lose his wife, but he lost an unborn child. So it's like a double trauma. And he also talks about later with um, Gracie that he was a foster child. And so he didn't really have a family of his own except for his wife. And to kind of like put the nail in the coffin of his faith, she was driving home from a church meeting when the car accident happened. So that's part of uh, an even bigger part of the reason why he's so faithless at this point and like putting crosses into drawers and not really wanting to acknowledge that they're there or even see them so much. Now, when we talked about earlier about how David Selby plays Emery, he also plays Emery's ancestor from 1880 to Reverend. And uh, there is one, there's a couple of good scenes with the Reverend in the past dealing with Mary Jane, the witch, but also one where he deals with uh, Lena, his wife, who's played by Catherine Lee Scott. And um, she's also, of course, for those that are familiar from dark shadows. And they have a very good scene where we find out that the Reverend has a backstory where, um, his youngest son kills himself because he doesn't believe in God or has no faith. And that's what he tells his dad as he's dying or just before he died, something like that, which causes the reverend to lose faith. And um, then he seduces the um, Mary Jane, who, whether she is or is not a witch, remains to be decided. You know, she's practicing something with nature. And he tries, he does some, um, reprehend, you know, terrible things to her, which which really are unexcusable. Yeah, there were like it almost seemed that there were two or three different stories that came up in the flashbacks, uh, even just about the Reverend, where there was what Emery was telling him the Reverend did, and there's what Gracie was telling him what happened back then, and then there was what he was seeing in his dream sequences or flashbacks or whatever. And some of them make it seem like she really is a witch. Some make it seem like she's not really a witch, that she's just a person who the Reverend wanted to get rid of. And some make it seem like it was the whole town was in just a point of extreme tension and needed to vent at something and chose that something to be the religious outsider and went after her. Yeah, when somebody's the outsider, when things are going bad in a, in a town, it's always easy to pick on them and make them the scapegoat. And you could look at it a couple ways. I mean, was she a witch? Was she not a witch? Or was the killing of her, did it make her a vengeful spirit? You know, so maybe she, you know, she was never really a witch but became a vengeful ghost or spirit after that fact. I mean, that's, that's one of the great points of a, of a movie that I like is that you, have, you can have those discussions afterwards especially when we're not going to spoil the end or talk about the end much, but the ending is, is left to your, there is an ending, but the ending is, you know, as the little thing said, was it all in his head or was it really a witch or spirit that was causing these events to happen to him? And that left um, to your interpretation, which is, I like, I mean, not everybody's going to like that. I mean, some people like to have endings that are definitive and that kind of stuff. Um, this is, for those that aren't familiar, it's like a psychological horror, familiar with the old gothic cars, where it has that slow build and um, to the big payoff at the end. 
Although it, it does build faster than some gothic horrors, just because things keep happening, there's not as much just... Things keep happening at a very slow rate. I'm just saying, as a comparison, this movie is, I think it's like 20 minutes longer than the Tomb of Lygia, and it feels to me like it's two hours shorter than the Tomb of Lygia. Like, that's the pacing difference when watching this film and, like, a traditional gothic horror film. At least to me. One of the things I wanted to mention that I liked was the music by, <laughs> excuse me, Bill Wendell. And uh, I really enjoyed it because when I was watching it the second time with Ben and Michaela, um, I was paying attention to the musical parts and things. And because you know, when you're watching the thing for a second time in a short period of time, with just a few months difference, you're able to focus on those other aspects that you weren't able to focus on before. And the music was, um, I think, really well done, you know, for the, for, for the film. And um, they were lucky to get him to do the music. And um, I think it was definitely um, an, a good addition. And it, it's something I'm thinking about getting down the road, you know, just to listen to. All right. Anything else that anybody want to talk about that they enjoyed and liked about the movie? No, I think we're ready to move on to our just, tour. What did you want to do? There's just one other thing I want to talk about was uh, Ansel Farage. Um, I've seen other movies of his, and just like Nathan Wilson, you can see where he's grown a lot as a director during this process. And what I think would really help this film compared to most of his other films is that they had um, practical sets, you know, real buildings, real locations, and that really helps their film. Where a lot of his other films, it's um, um, blue screen, green screen, whatever it is, background. And you can see that, and it's I think helps out the actors when they're given their performances to actually have everything be there around them. So that when they're in their, those period pieces, they're in an old church. They're in these buildings and they're in these locations. I really think that makes things so much better when you have the props and the costuming to go with it. And I enjoyed the costuming. I think the period costumes were good. I enjoyed the um, witch's costume when she was nearing the end because she was, she seemed to have this thing with loons. So to kind of make her more, as the end goes on, more bird costumey like than she was earlier in the film. And um, so I enjoyed watching those little nuances that were appearing in there. Now, as Ben was saying, what are some things anybody think that could have been improved upon in the movie um, or or maybe that you did not like at all? We'll start with Michaela. She's been awfully quiet most of this. So this type of psychological horror movie is not really my cup of tea. So I found it to be rather slow and kind of predictable at parts. Um at least for me personally, like, oh, we said we weren't going to spoil the ending, so I can't talk about that. Um, I found it to be kind of predictable what happened to Lewis at the end of the movie based upon what we learned about him throughout the movie and kind of his state of mind throughout the movie. There were other parts that I thought didn't really make sense to include um like at one point Gracie's brother comes and beats Lewis up with some friends and then nothing else happens 
with them. You hadn't heard them mentioned before. You heard Gracie mention her sister, never mention anything about having a brother or anything. And just out of the blue, he shows up, beats up Lewis, leave him there. He wakes up in like the nighttime or the next day and that they kind of move on from there. And it's very, it just didn't really add anything to the movie for me personally. Well, I think part of the reason that that was there was to show that what happens after it could have been more from like getting a concussion or having head trauma versus like it being supernatural in order to put even more contention to whether this is something where he's just imagining it from being in a traumatized state and getting beaten up, having repeated head trauma, or whether it's like an actual supernatural thing that's happening to him where this vengeful spirit or this witch's curse has latched onto him and is just like trying to take him out. And I think that I was kind of building up to this third day thing where in the curse they're supposed to die on the third day and it brings this like increase of tension into his life because now he's had all this emotional issues but now he's also in like physical pain and it just puts even more strain on his mind and body than what it was before so I think it's mostly there just to add even more evidence that it was a thing that was wrong in his mind versus a supernatural thing whereas it could have still just been a supernatural thing that caused this whole thing to begin with well I'm glad you got something out of it because I did not get any of that at all and and one of the things I want to mention I should have mentioned probably earlier is that when you have somebody that has so many is such a broken person coming into it and with the drinking, Ben said possible the head trauma and other things going on, I find um, Lewis to be an unreliable narrator, you know, type thing. So I know some people be like, well, he said this or he saw this, but the thing is you don't know if what he's seeing is real or not real, which affects people around him because sometimes he's having these um, daymares, nightmares, whatever you want to call them, hallucinations, um, and it does affect the people around him. And there was sometimes I thought he was maybe going to kill somebody, you know, that, that happened to walk up near him or whatever during these situations. And I think Ben and Michaela were the same way in that. Like, is he going to take somebody out by accident? Um, and that kind of thing, which added in, to me, a little bit more of the suspense to it. Um, one of the things I wish would had more of was more with David Selby, just because he was doing such a great job in both roles. Um Totally different types of characters. I love the Emery role. Um, he was so grounded and everything. I wish we would have had a little bit more with him and with Emery and Lewis to um, help us out a little bit in it. But then again, for me, if that would have happened, I would probably I agree. I agree with Michaela. Um, the scene with the uh, brother who comes out of nowhere and basically beats him up. If you wanted to edit for time, I maybe would taken that scene out and added the Emery scene scenes in because that works a lot for me you know if you don't want to add to the link because this is about a 96 minute film you know so it's right around that sweet spot for me of a film of this oak could be about an hour and a half you know somewhere between an hour and 20 minutes hour and 40 minutes it's right in that wheelhouse um, 
as long as things are, you know, happening of interest, which they were for me. And obviously not, it's not going to please everybody. Like Michaela said, she wasn't enjoying the pacing and the, and the storyline basically because it's just not her kind of film. And not everybody's going to like every type of film, which we've talked about in prior podcasts, especially the Tumalogia one. So Michaela, what else did you think could have been improved upon? Was you? There was some of the lighting choices they did. Um, I remember this one. Lewis was in the car, and I think Gracie might have been in the car with him, too. I can't quite remember, but they had, like, a blue and pink lighting going on. Like, it was, like, it was very strange. Like, it was just a very strange combination for me because it wasn't, it was, they were supposed to be going around the town at night, and I guess... That could be from, like, an open sign that they're sitting in front of. But it wouldn't have been that intense in real life on them as it was. So that didn't make me necessarily think of it in a realistic sense. If that, yeah, You're not thinking it was a neon sign or anything because it's a really small town. You're thinking it was yeah. some kind of um, cinematography choice. Yeah. Um, the one thing with lighting for me I can think of was when the Reverend Jensen was heard a noise at the church and he opened up the outside door and was looking out. And I, I, I could see it both ways with this. It was pitch black outside. So you only had the light coming from inside the church to illuminate anything, um, which is good. I mean, it does show you how dark it is and things like that. But the negative is you don't get to see any of the uh, facial expressions of the actor you know you're just seeing the outline of him and um, so part of me wishes maybe there would have been some kind of light source just to show a little something going on there so we could see you know what his expressions were when he was like scanning around was he scared was he like how like you know what motions was he given which is kind of lost in that but then again on the other hand you can say well it does show how isolated you are from the rest of the group being at that church and that it is that dark that you don't have any other light coming from any other place. So, I mean, like I said, I could see it, you know, both ways. I would have preferred to have seen his face uh, illuminated a little bit, you know, just so we could see his expressions because again, he was doing such a great job. You just, I'm just curious what emotion it, what, what he was showing during that time. Cause I think he was looking out for about what? Five seconds. I don't know. It was something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a long enough time where, you know, it's it, it was um, something where you just wish you had something. Maybe it could have been like firefly light. I don't know. But some kind of thing just to give us some kind of expression or like a, a faux lightning thing to show us his face. I really don't have – I mean, I'm, I'm really like picking, nitpicking just to find things I didn't like because, again, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, so that's – there's, you know, because I know Ben doesn't. Ben hates it when we come up with things that we felt to be improved, and we don't talk about anything. We're like, oh, we just loved everything, and Ben's like, you know. So I'm trying to find some stuff so I can make Ben happy. I would say something that I thought could have been improved would be the flashback sequences. They're kind of short, and there's a lot of them. I would have rather had less of them, but had longer, more developed flashback sequences rather than a whole bunch that are some of them are maybe only a minute or 30 seconds and others are like maybe a minute and a half to two minutes 
I just would I would have rather had more developed flashback sequences. Um, also because a lot of them focused on David Selby's portrayal of the uh, Reverend, and it was a very interesting portrayal, and you got to see a lot of different. It was almost like in certain flashbacks he was a different character than he was in other flashbacks because in one of them you find out that he or you see him burn down the church himself in another one the witch's ghost or the vengeful spirit burns the church down with him in it and you don't know which one is true in one you see a more angry character who's almost more vindictive and maybe even a little bit evil. And in the other one, you see a person that's sad, distraught, that you almost feel a lot of pity for because he's gone through so much pain and now he's just ending it and throwing up one last prayer to God. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. And I think the reason it's hard to tell is one of them was a dream sequence so again, how how realistic is it? It goes back to the Lewis the, unreli- the unreliable narrator. The other one was from An- Emery, the ancestor, saying, "Oh, this is what really happened," um, kind of thing. And so now was Emery right? Because that could have been what he was told, you know. And so unless unless the Reverend was able to tell somebody after he was badly burned exactly what happened, then nobody really knows what happened. I mean, it it could have been somebody else that came in there and firebombed the the, the church, you know. Well, you know, unless he told his wife or some other townsperson who then related to, you know, his descendants and eventually related to Emery, we're never going to know the exact truth. And that's sadly it happens in a lot of situations in life. If there's no witness to something and something happens, we're all there to speculate, but nobody is ever going to know for sure. Of course, nowadays with modern technology, sometimes we're able to make very accurate speculations and get these things down. But back in 1880, you didn't have any of that stuff. And um, so it, it would be very tough for them to figure out. I guess there, there might be one other thing that I would sort of critique. And... Mikhail, do you have anything to add while Ben's thinking? No, I was going to say, if he can't think of it, did you want to move on to whether we recommend the movie or not? Oh, it's just going gonna, gonna to come to me in a second... So why don't we start with Dad, and then we'll go to you. And if it comes to you, you can say it before you rec- whether you recommend the movie or not. Okay. Sure, go for it. Just keep going. All right. Well, I think I played my hand rather easily early. I mean, not only did I pick the film, but I've, I said it was one of the ones I enjoyed watching earlier this year that came out from last year. And again, I, I think it's a very good film. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. It really shows you how, uh, like I said earlier, young filmmakers when working together and can take this uh, script they had and really make it work. Um, Nathan Wilson, like I said, is one of the writers of it, not only the lead actor, and he grew up in Minnesota, and they had a story of a witch, and um, that's why he wanted to go back to Minnesota and do a witch story to incorporate that from his past into it and try to make it work. And they had different things they were talking about doing and they ended up going with this and um, I think it, it was very enjoyable and for them to be able to get um, the likes of Catherine Lee Scott and David Selby to come 
and and do this film with them. I mean, it, it's just it's just amazing, you know how because um, a lot of times people don't use these actors when they reach a certain age, and they really have a lot of things they can still bring and do to their performances. So I recommend it, you know, um, um, highly. I did think of what I was going to say, and it was throughout this whole film. They mention all these characters that are native to the area in Minnesota. They mention different people that they've known who have crossed over this grave three times and ended up dying. Now, like, the characters that mention it the most are Gracie and Emery. Because Emery mentions a guy who did it when he was younger, and this guy dies three days later in a freak car accident. And Gracie mentions a similar thing happening to her, but neither of them believe it. They both say that it's just a bunch of baloney. But you would think if every time that you've known somebody who's walked across this grave three times has died within three days, just like the curse says, that you would start believing it. And that kind of struck me as weird how they still think it's fake, but they've, they like know real times when it's happened where people die three days after they do this on a consistent basis. The one thing I want to help with Gracie out, though, she also told, and I don't know if she really did this or was just saying this to try to make Lewis feel better, but she said how when they were younger, when she was younger, her and the neighborhood kids would go out there and they would jump over the grave three times, cross it three times, and nothing happened to them. So I think early, sometimes she was saying stuff to him when he first came from the bar to scare him, you know, and to make fun of him a little bit because he was reacting like that. But then when she found that he was taking it really serious, she tried to explain that it and it wasn't real but was she just saying that or to help him get through that moment or what did she really believe it again we don't know i take it that she was meaning it for real but that that's left up to each viewer so ben would you recommend this movie uh yes yes i would it is a little bit of a slow build but it's not a terribly long movie um the plot line makes sense it's fairly fo- easy to follow. Um, yeah, it's not super unpredictable, but what happens makes sense. There are scenes where I feel like they went a little bit against what you would expect to happen. Not necessarily something that's super unpredictable, but something that you would probably see a lot more directors and filmmakers go in a different direction that you're more accustomed to and they decided not to do that in certain scenes and I thought that that was kind of cool so yeah I would would definitely recommend this now Michaela would you recommend this movie no I would not recommend this movie um, because personally it's not the type of movie that I would enjoy um, and I don't think it's necessarily the type of movie that a lot of people that I would recommend movies to would enjoy. Um, If I knew, like, if I had a friend that I knew really liked independent movies or they really liked psychological horror things, then I'd say, hey, maybe you would like to check out this movie. Um, But personally, I'm not going to recommend it to anybody unless they, like, fell into that category. Now, for those that are listening, if you want to watch um, Loon Lake, it is available on Amazon <coughs> on Amazon Prime. 
and also Tubi TV uh, for free. And if you enjoy it, you can also purchase it on DVD or Blu-ray, um, those kind of things. So it's um, it's out there for you to watch. I mean, it's 96 minutes of your time. I mean, really, you know, so you can find out whether you agree more of Michaela or whether you agree more of Ben and myself, you know. And, that's and that, again, that's the beauty of film um, is you don't really know what you're going to get with those movies. Um, so it's, it's nice to watch them and enjoy them. And again, I really enjoyed it. And I just want to highlight again, a nice young filmmaker on the rise. And Ben, did you want to tell people how they could reach us on social media? Yeah. So you can follow us on diecast movie reviews at Instagram.com. You can also DM us on Instagram, follow us in app and like our posts. Um, you can also, Follow us on Diecast Movie Reviews Podcast on Facebook and contact us there if you have any comments. We would love to have some nice viewer or listener feedback to talk about maybe in some of our future podcasts. Yeah, feel free to send us stuff. You know, we like to get feedback. We, you know, we've gotten feedback from a few people, you know, that talk to us in person and they say they enjoy it and have been liking what we've been doing. And also, again, we do interviews, and our next episode after this one will be an interview with the same director of this film, Ansel Farage. Um, and you get to hear about a lot of the different movies that he did or has done and what he has coming out in the near future. Okay. And so now we are going to move into the die roll portion of our episode. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, we have three dice. Um, the first die is a six-sided die that has our names on it twice. And then, so there's a Michaela 1, a Michaela 2, a Ben 1, a Ben 2, a Stephen 1, and a Stephen 2. And so that decides who gets to pick the movie and then which of the two genre dice we roll. Um, so, and I'm just going to go through them real quick. So on die one, we have comedy fantasy, foreign, sci-fi, independent, and animation. And on Die 2, we have family, action, horror, musical, documentary, and drama. Okay. And so here goes the die roll for who gets to pick the movie. And it is Ben 2. So again, we're going to get to roll. I know it's been a while since you've gotten to pick. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, I think it's been like 12 episodes or something. I haven't picked since Woochie. There's, there's a reason for that. For that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want me to pick any more good movies. The fates went against you when you picked Woochie. That's what I can say. That, you know. The dice were not in your favor. After I got Woochie, it's just so hard to follow it up that they knew I wouldn't be able to pick anything better. So they made Michaela pick a bunch of crap. A bunch of good movies. Oh, oh, yeah, that, that's what I meant. Exactly. Um, Dad did pick a couple movies in there, though. Yeah, and yeah you toward, towards the end. And you've recommended every one of these movies, I think, Ben, that we've done since Wuchi. Yeah, you have. <laughs> so you really can't say that any true. of them are bad. All right, and now for the genre. And it landed on documentary. Well, the first time we get the documentary pick, Ben. I know. I wonder what I'm going to do. Yeah, you better think of a good one. I will. 
I will. So we hope you all have enjoyed this episode, and please stay tuned to see which movie we'll pick next. <laughs>